When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Intellicast. This is our best of. Thanks for listening to our best of. Um, hello, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm all right. We're just uh, introing some of our ba- our favorite segments of the year, as we usually do. We've done this all four years, right? Yeah. Um, surprising that's come up this quick. It feels like just like yesterday, we were in the middle of the season. But yeah, it's time for best ofs. Yeah, so, you know, the majority of these next three podcasts will be um, best ofs with some of our favorite episodes and some of our more insightful guests, I think. Um, Happy holidays to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you. We enjoy doing the podcast each episode each year. Um, Starting year five soon seems crazy to me. Hopefully we'll have some um, interesting changes maybe in year five. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but for now, um, the first interview you'll hear is Colson Steber, who um, he's been on a couple of times. And um, he'll mention that in this episode. But Colson Steber works at Communications for Research, um, and he built a new product this year called Ag Access and kind of focusing on um, farmers and that kind of segment of the population and research they are really experts in it. I think you'll really enjoy this. It's kind of a positive, um, uh, motivating kind of interview, I think. Right, Brian? Yeah, I think this is a great one to kind of kick off the best of because Colson was on back in 2020 when everything, when he was seeing a big downturn. This was him coming back, kind of giving an update on that and really how it, he really, him and his company have done kind of a 180 and they're really doing well now. So I think this is a great one to kind of kick us off. Um, And then in our second interview, we have Dan Fletcher, Chuck Miller. Um, Dan works at Research Defender, um, formerly known as Sample Chain. Chuck Miller works at DM2. He's been in the industry for quite a while. And this is a kind of an interesting discussion around data quality. Um, So I would highly recommend that as well. It's um, just a good discussion about how we all think about data quality, how we leverage Resource Defender and also kind of our research expertise. And so, you know, it's about fraudulent behavior. It's about best practices. It's about lots of interesting stuff. I think this is relevant for probably every one of our listeners. Um, anything I missed there? Right. No, um, just even as we're talking about it, it might be something I even go back and listen to because this was, again, one of our earlier episodes this year. And it's probably what we talk about is still relevant today. So it's probably a good one to give a revisit to. Absolutely. So without further ado, here's Colson Steber in the first segment. And then the second segment, you'll hear Chuck and Dan and um, Chuck. Chuck and Dan, only one Chuck. But you'll hear everybody in these two episodes. Thank you all. 
Joining us today, Colson Steeburn. He is the co-CEO of Communications for Research and Ag Access. He is also the, I guess, do we call it the immediate past president president of the Great Lakes Chapter of the Insight Association? Correct. Yeah. And so, um, man, I'm so happy to have you on today because I think we have a fun story to tell. So I'll try to set up a little bit. Colson, you were on, we just looked it up, April 20th of last year. And, man, what a crazy time that was, right? April 20th of 2020 was really the um, peak of the shutdown. Yeah, it was a crazy time because I think that was the height of, oh, wow, what is happening, right? We weren't sure how long this was going to last. It was just going to cripple our economy. And I remember... you could go back and listen to it, but I remember it was a challenging time for your company, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think at the time our uh, work in progress was down 70% from what it had been a month before. Down 70%. And you're certainly not the only company that had challenges like that. I mean, we saw not that much later, a lot of companies had layoffs and qualitative research was way down and the, the industry kind of had to pivot. And that was a rough time. And in some ways, it seems like a long time ago. In some ways, it seems like it wasn't that long time ago. It was only nine months ago. But that was tough, I'm assuming, for you personally, right? Yeah, very. And yeah. I, mean, I feel like 2020 was every week could have been a month or a year. Yeah. Um, so, what, like, what were some of maybe – Really quickly, what what were kind of some of the hurdles that you faced then, and with uh, you know leading a company through this? Uh, first of all, it was like bear down, try to think how do we make as informed decisions as we possibly can, but no matter what, make a whole lot of decisions and have those be things that we could like take some pride in later as well as uh hopefully recreate our own v-shaped recovery right and this is going to be a good story for those listening this is a good (laughs) i think this will turn out to be positive and so since april 20th what have what is i mean you've had some tough decisions to make and you really pivoted right yeah so we had always uh so we managed to keep our entire team together out of the gift that was PPP and uh, had a whole lot of time that hopefully we could go execute on a bunch of things that were sitting on the shelf. So first and foremost, we were implementing the entrepreneurial operating system and were at a point where we needed to change how performance reviews worked, how meetings between managers and direct reports worked in teams, uh, and to meet the structure of the business operating system that we were adopting. And we suddenly had all the time in the world to do that, which means everyone, uh, we, we just fundamentally changed the foundation of how we run the business during Q2 of 2020. You had that planned already prior to this, right? You were already planning to change that to that system. Is that right? 
Right. We had started about six months before, but, you know, in the course of regular business, making as many changes as what we wanted would have easily taken a year to 18 months. And, you know, we, and in addition to that, we had been working to take our knowledge of our niche within agriculture and animal health research services and actually launch our, our own brand and business specific to that, which we did successfully with Ag Access. And so Q2 was like a year's worth of change in yeah. you know, 10 to 13 weeks. So prior to this, how much of your work was kind of like ag related versus not ag related? It was about 40% of the business, but the vast majority of that was actually concentrated within one customer. Okay. Okay. And so now you're pivoting and there's this new brand called Ag Access. Maybe talk about that for a minute. Right. So Ag Access is about bringing our knowledge of these audiences and our research logistics skills for, uh, you know, engaging uh, farmers and ranchers and uh, veterinarians to actually uh, participate in studies. And so we had been passively for about six to nine months already started up with recruiting into our own um community or panel that we would operate and then uh and so we've got that we we stood that up uh, on the back end and then on the front end marketing wise created the ag access website and uh really did the work to say who are the potential buyers of services for market research within these audiences that will get value out of it well, that's <laughs> but it's really amazing as you're walking through this, all the changes you made. And I know from my limited exposure to accessing these types of people and sampling, these are hard to reach people. It is, we've, when we try to reach them, we go to lists. And so the fact that you have a community probably, and that you are now experts or have been experts in this field, that has to be hopefully a huge advantage, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we stood up, in June with only a few thousand and because we do have at least a form of critical mass of studies with that go to these audiences and we now are investing and continually recruiting we've now got uh, already over 40,000 people across and and a lot of times what we're dealing with is profiling down to extremely unique niches like uh, you know, there's only 40 pork powerhouses in the United States, and I need to be able to get as many of uh, the exact role types as need recruited, let's say, for a qualitative study found. And so we've got really, you know, a couple thousand data points getting tracked of all of the different, uh, you know, technically specific areas of specialty within ag and animal health. Now I can I can again I can speak a little bit from the panel perspective and we know that the best panels in our network from a B2B standpoint are ones that kind of focus on those industries because it gets so technical and the 
you mentioned 2,000 profiling points for some people. Um, that is really a key to quality, in my opinion, is working with a partner that understands that industry because a lot, a lot of times clients, well, at least our clients are more full-service market researchers. Yours are probably more brands, but um, don't understand all of the challenges faced with recruiting and how to talk to them. And so I'm always a big fan of working with people that really understand that industry. Yeah, I I resist going the uh, direction of a panel business model because I yeah. know, particularly within these groups, right? If if you're not hiring for our ability to help manage the process and understand the audience and what is the best question to, uh, to ask to get a quality answer, uh, then it. Like, I almost don't even want to field the study. Um, right. And so we have, it. We're, we're still very much a data collection business and not bringing on full-time analysts, but we know enough uh, to really help the consulting firm or the UX group or the full-service research consultancy, uh, you know, dig in and get it right, get the research that they're doing right within that group. Right. And so you have kind of a new internal management entrepreneurial system. I'm not sure if I said that right. Um, and then you're kind of rebranding and you're refocusing a bit. And then on top of that, you have other challenges, I would assume, in terms of like working environment that most companies face, but, you know, we're working from home, we're working remotely, and you have call centers, right? So how did you figure that out? Yeah, you know, we had 130 employees in our call center, which is a where about half of our revenue is generated. And they had only ever worked in person, even though all of our, you know, uh, professional research team has always is generally been 100% remote. And that was an absolutely monumental undertaking. Um, <laughs> luckily, like I said, we weren't laying anyone off. So we had the time to take to uh, dig in. And my uh, business partner and a couple of our IT people, uh, you know, understand all of the back end of how to get things set up to run right. So we had... 65 people stood up and working remotely with inside of two weeks. But oh that was, uh, but then from there, the real challenge became uh, like by the middle of June, we were actually in a position of needing to hire employees back in. And from, and, and no one, the interesting thing is that no one left us because the job security was so welcome, but uh, bringing in new people uh, from the end of June until the end of August, our turnover rate within a month of hiring people, unfortunately, was literally 100%. Wow. And, and that wasn't out of lack of trying to check all the boxes. It's that trying to onboard an employee that's only making a couple bucks an hour over minimum wage for a 100% remote job yeah. is ridiculously complex. Yeah, I can imagine because you have, you know, questionnaires and you have 
um, QCing, and you have security issues probably with data. Um, I can't imagine. I, I think it's, I do think it's interesting that we just spoke about for any company. The first two things that you talked about are huge oh. undertakings, but this third one you described as a monumental undertaking, um, which really lends itself to the challenges. I mean, it, I can't even imagine going through all this simultaneously. Yeah, I was uh, at work every day for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but the good news is is that like our 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 team and our business structure is set up that like we just changed our goals and everybody was aligned to like the goal that they were the decision maker in, right? Which gets yeah. them, which gets us marching in the right direction, you know in the course of one meeting. Right. Um, have you had time to like reflect on this at all? Because by the way, during all this, you're serving as president of an, you know, an important organization for our industry. On top of all this, you somehow found time to do that, right? <laughs> yep. I think we stood up uh, and started doing two webinars a month in May. Um, which, and those were, uh, I mean, those are, fun to be a part of uh, and yeah. there there was that element for me of uh on the other no one's buying anything right now but on the other side of this somebody's going to need to know who to reach out to right. uh, and that the uh, kind of the few data points i had you know prior to 2020 almost every single person that had brought work to us had met me in person so I was very much trying to solve for how an inside sales, you know, less personal role would work. And yeah. luckily the data was coming in that the only thing that the kind of market understands that we're uniquely so good you shouldn't ignore us at is ag. And so that was the only work we were winning, which was super reaffirming to the idea that we were expending a ton of resources on getting the new website up and launching the company. Right. And despite all of this, you had a, a pretty decent year, right? You closed pretty strong. Like, um, not yeah, that fortunately I end up not a uh, PPP round two eligible because we actually oh, wow. recovered so hard uh, from June onward that we got ourselves back to even the 2019 revenue. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, and how's the call center? Have you kind of worked out all the kinks? You have a decent kind of structure there? Yeah. I mean, I the a, a big part of that operating system is that people set quarterly priorities that really get that decision-making done by the people who are actually involved in implementing. And every single person had a, you know, a goal around that, uh, after that data had come in in September of yeah. how things were going, and we turned around and had our lowest ever turnover for the call center in fourth quarter. So wow, and and we're still only hiring 100% remote because we've faced you know multiple shutdowns. We've had multiple positive cases in office and had to close for cleanings and all. Uh, you know, that nightmare has made it. So we're just making a permanent decision of everyone is 
only remote. There's a few people back in the office out of them being an employee that has been with us for a while who doesn't get stable internet connection in rural Missouri. You know, it's interesting. We talked about all the challenges you faced last year and what normally would be a gigantic challenge. You just kind of glossed over like an afterthought that, oh, we've had multiple closings because of people, you know, getting a virus, like as if, you know, that's just normal day-to-day challenges that we face. But normally that would be huge. Yeah, we joke. uh, I mean, now it seems like an all-the-time conversation, but my... Luckily, one of the guys on my leadership team, his wife was in in charge of COVID response for a hotel chain. Oh, wow. So we were like, you know, taking the information that we could and, you know, repurposing it to understand how we should set up our COVID protocols. (laughs) Right. Well, Well, I'll say this. I mean... I've gotten to know you pretty well in the last year now. I'm so proud of what you've done. I know you're a big reader and you're really into systems and and stuff, but I think you could write your own book on your recovery in this situation. Because when I talked to you, when we had our board meetings and things like that, you would, no one would have any idea all the probably the challenges that you, and you probably felt responsible for all, I mean, hundreds of employees face. So I'm like super happy for you. I know this is a journey. It's not a destination and you're every day you're trying to be better, but um, just super impressed with how you handled everything. Yeah, thanks. So I think my my goal is that I I proved to myself that the rate of change in could be wildly faster than I ever believed it could be last year. Yeah. I want to create the same level of personal and business transformation for myself this year. Right. Wow. Man, that's a <laughs> good luck with that. Wow, I just want to relax. Look like what I'll look like a year from now. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to kind of take a nap and relax um, after this past year. Um, But you've used it as kind of a motivator to like push yourself, right? Yeah, personally, I I dug in, and it it would have been shortly after we met. uh, A friend of mine, we're we're accountability partners together, and agreed to reread Atomic Habits by James Clear. And we both quit drinking and set up a morning ritual that we would hold. And as of uh, this weekend, I hit 270 days straight of doing every single thing every day. Oh, man. Well, I'm impressed. And so I know you're, you also give back a lot. And so you've helped me as I've kind of struggled through um, some things, you know, with the Inside Association and work and balancing all of that. And so um, I really appreciate it. Brian, did I miss anything? Any, anything you want to add? No, I think you covered all of it. I mean, this is a great success story coming out of almost a year ago from when we talked to you. It was seemed to be full-blown crisis, and now it seems you've pivoted and gotten better. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Hopefully it's not too vain. It was not without its insane stressors. Right. Well, Colson, thanks for joining. If our listeners have any questions about ag research, um, about the challenges that Colson's faced and how he overcame them, um, how can they reach you, Colson? Uh, the easiest is on LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Go to Colson Siebert's LinkedIn page. Yeah, go to Colson Siebert's LinkedIn page. And again, 
Um, thanks for joining us. It's such such a cool story from where we were last April to where you are today, and happy to share it. And uh, hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. Everybody have a good day. Joining us now, we have uh, Dan Fletcher and Chuck Miller. Hey guys, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks um, for Dan. Dan's the executive director of operations at Sample Chain, and Chuck. And his job title is officially a president at DM2, which is Digital Marketing Measurement. It's his own company. But he's a former president at USAMP, president at AOL DMS. So he's been around a little while and um, very Spent consultant. Some time on the supplier side before AOL. So, yeah, yeah kind of seen so it all. Super excited to have these two guys on as we kind of continue our conversation around data quality. And, um, you know, Dan being working in operations at Sample Chain. Um, and Chuck being around just in the industry for so long. I think that's a great episode. We're going to talk about kind of trends and we'll talk a little bit about an article that Bonnie Breslauer, well, Bonnie Breslauer of Disco put on Green Book a couple weeks ago. But maybe just we'll start off with kind of like some bigger trends that we're seeing kind of in the industry. Dan, I'll start off with you. Like what's going on in the industry from your perspective? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Thanks guys for having us. Uh, super excited to be here. Yeah, happy to talk a little bit about what we've seen on our end. You know, I mean, I think we've, it's sort of equal parts um, what we're hearing from, from the customer side of things, then also what we're seeing in our data. Um, you know, <clears throat> we talked a little bit back in December about the, um, you know, the, the Q4 election cycle and the impact that had on, on the industry. Huge spikes in, uh, in the demand for surveys, especially around the election and uh, a perhaps outpacing supply in some, in some elements. Um, you know, we, we definitely saw an uptick in fraud as a result of that. You know, we saw um, a lot of the the exchanges and, and and platforms that we worked with having to to really increase their CPIs to to get that sample, and that led to a lot of fraud. And so, I, I think we talked about that a lot back in Q4. But um, we've seen a good return to normalcy from our side of things. Um, you know, we had a huge spike uh, a couple of weeks ago for the last week of Q1. Um, very big spike. You know, that that leveled out last week and the week before. But um, very positive for I think macro trends in the in the industry. Um, you know, from a from a sort of global standpoint, I think when we see macro events like COVID, we tend to see more fraud. Um, you know, it's oh, it, it makes yeah, it, it it makes sense. I mean, there's you know a dip in the economy due to to COVID leads to you know more people unemployed. I mean, think about it, all the people that are home. It's essentially everybody. Lots of time on their hands. Um, low opportunity cost of that time. Uh, it's, you know, it's, we always think about things as opportunity costs, uh, what's the, um, you know, in terms of our, our MO and how we try to block sample, but, um, it's definitely worth it for a lot of time to, for, for these fraudsters to spend, uh, at home and, um, you know, trying to, uh, to break into these surveys. So, so we're busy. Yeah, I bet. And Chuck, I bet that all of the things he's talking about, that puts some challenges on your, from your perspective, right? When, when there's a, quality concerns, there's a spike that makes it tough from on, on you, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm ad advising a number of companies on data quality. Um, so for me, fraud, data quality elements kind of all blend together at the end of the day from an insights perspective, right? So um, there definitely have been challenges last year and we saw that escalate throughout the year. Um, 
and you know, in general, uh, we've always talked about fraud and data quality and stuff as, as kind of an escalating arms race, right? I mean, it's something that we've been working for 20 plus years at this <laughs> point in online research to try and uh, to tamp down. And it, it seems like as soon as we come up with something, um, you know, to combat uh, an element, there's always uh, something else popping up uh, to right. address. But um, yeah, so from kind of an insights perspective, I think, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen this past year are, um, you know, fraud manifests, uh, you know, typically as brand overstatement, both from kind of a, an attitude and usage standpoint, that can be kind of a key indicator. Um, people see changes in data, you begin to dig and sure enough, um, you know, a lot of fraud, uh, you know, comes across as people overstating um, in an attempt to, to qualify and, and provide happy data and provide the data that they think people want to hear. So, um, yeah. you know, that's kind of some of the stuff that we see. You know, I think that in terms of other trends, I've seen more people, I think, paying attention to um, really looking at kind of different sources and examining kind of inherent characteristics. It used to be that we would kind of lump together different types Um of sample, river sample, panel sample, all of that. Um, I think that people have uh, gotten wise to, you really can't look at it necessarily by type anymore. You really need to dig down to the provider level, um, look at the characteristics you're getting there. Um, so I've seen, you know, greater emphasis on that. That was something that I had, you know, always kind of preached uh, when I was at AOL. It was something that, you know, we developed one of the first river samples and we would draw people from across um, AOL properties, Time Warner properties, and I always worried about what are the underlying characteristics now that I'm sourcing from sportsillustrated.com or cnn.com and demos yeah. um, held constant don't necessarily mean you're going to get the same data um, right. on source. So I think people are a bit more wise to that, um, which is fantastic. And then maybe, you know, one more might be, um, more time spent looking at device type. Um, people beginning to realize that, you know, mobile is such a high percentage of surveys that you really need to think about mobile respondents uh, differently than desktops. And, you know, it all comes together to form the whole. Um, it's not necessarily, um, you know, uh, one or the other, and you need to design for both and, and those kinds of things, um, you know, help data quality, but also kind of help on the fraud front too. Um, yep. Making sure that you've got, you know, good responding experience and all of that at the end of the day is going to um, get you to the, the right data at the end. So um, just some of the trends I've been seeing. Well, I have so many follow ups just from both of you guys on the first question. So maybe I'll, I'll go back to you, Dan. You mentioned that, like, we saw a surge in fraud last week. We saw, you know, at the end of last year as well. What does it kind of look like from your perspective? Like, how do you recognize it? Um, what are the things that you're kind of the identifiers maybe like, oh, we have something going on here. What does it kind of look like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, we've, you know, I think all of us in particular, because we're all working with third party data, uh, you, you know, in, in its in its purest sense, um, we're just trying to look for outliers. Uh, in the in the data, you know, we've we've layered a lot of machine learning models to do regression analysis and decision trees and um, <clears throat> a number of those methods to, we're, so we're really just looking at, you know, all the different variables that we have for respondents, um, 
you know, it, it goes as high as IP addresses and down all the way to metadata within a, you know, a user agent and just looking for anomalies, things that look uh, very out of, out of the ordinary. Um, subnets are, are a, a pretty high uh, correlative um, uh, variable on there too. You know, what that would mean is, you know, IP addresses that are just slightly off um, as those are probably people that aren't on VPNs or proxies, but are just really, you know, um, changing their IP addresses within their home network. So it's a lot of little things and we're just trying to look for outliers. Um, the subnets one is a big one we've seen blow up. We're seeing a lot of uh, within the same survey, uh, you know, these slight variants, variations in IP addresses. Um, but also, I mean, you know, our models give us a lot of that information too. And just saying, okay, you know, this survey was seeing, um, you know, two respondents a minute and now it's seeing uh, 200 respondents a minute and they all look kind of similar. So throw up the red flag and um, we, you know, we're blocking a lot of this traffic, but also we need to let our, our supply chain know that that's happening so they can action off of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at its purest sense, it's just anomalies and what we'd expect. Well, that makes sense. Um, and Chuck, you mentioned a good point that I always recommend as well about device usage and looking at device type. And one, one thing is I feel like we have more information on especially mobile devices than we used to. That's yep. helpful for me, but like, what are you looking for when you're, are you sorting the data by device or sorting potential fraud by device? Or is it just one other thing that you're looking at in addition to like, you know, open ends and other fraud checks? Yeah, um, a lot of times it's, you know, quickly looking at it by device type, um, you know, especially things like open ends, um, you know, it, it's something that we know that, um, you know, typically you're gonna have a, a little, little shorter open end, um, but, uh, you know, really looking at um, patterns and, you know, it kind of goes back to the survey design too, and making sure that you think the survey design was appropriate um, because you're, you know, potentially going to have more overstatement um, with uh, a clickable mouse um, on multi-list response type questions than you might on a mobile device, things like that. Just looking for, um, some patterns in the data and just just being conscious of uh, of survey design. I think that we know that um, you know uh, your real estate is limited. Um, attention spans tend to be a little bit more limited. It appears on mobile devices as well. Um, you know, so you know there was a an old APOR standard that you know eighteen minutes is the 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 time that you need to worry about in terms of survey length because over eighteen you're going to start to see decreases in in data quality and things like that and I think today right. it's it's more like twelve to fifteen max um, yeah. and gravitating toward the shorter end um, when you're working with mobile devices. Yeah, and another thing that you mentioned, which I just had a conversation with a client about, is brand overstatement, which. Man, it gets tough when you're talking about data and, you know, when people are evaluating brands and especially during a weird period of time, such as COVID, when people's kind of attitudes and behaviors are already changing, right? We're all over the place. So it's less predictable or understandable maybe than in a normal environment. And then on top of that, you have the influence of possible fraud and possible poor quality that that has, I know that for me, that's really tough to kind of manage when you're talking to clients. I bet it is for you as well. It, it has. Yeah. I've been called in to help analyze a number of situations this year where tracker data has changed. Um, and you just have to, you know, go through the motions of looking at it by device type, looking at it by source provider, 
um, you know, all these different things to kind of tease out where you think the change came from. Uh, and then from there, you can begin to dig, you know, is it, um, is it actually fraud? You know, was, was somebody infiltrated um, with uh, either, you know, uh, the cottage industry of the, the, the group of folks coming in to try and get incentives or bots yeah. or something along those lines. But um, it just takes lots of teasing out of the data in many cases. Yeah. Well, I love having you both on because we all have to kind of work together as a team on this, right? Like you have Dan who's monitoring this almost basically for his living, right? And then you trying to take that data set and ensure it's right for the client. Like these, all of these groups of people, all of us have to kind of work together, right? It's imperative. Absolutely. And, and I really think you know, as much as anything, it starts at the very beginning too, right? I mean, there's so much that we can do from uh, the sample definition level and the screening level and the survey instrument and all of those things that at the end of the day are um, really going to help us get to the, the the final output. And, you know, along the way, embedded in some of that are things that we do to try and prevent fraud, things like red herrings, um, you know, and, and, uh, and so forth, and just being really mindful um, about how you're you're going about things, not trying to be too heavy-handed, because um, when you get too heavy-handed, you actually begin to exclude people that should be represented yes. in the data set, right? So yeah. there's there's a nice balance of art and science there, um, yeah. and you know, uh, love uh, the work I'm doing with Dan and team right now because there's um, some great science elements to bring to this, but there's you know, kind of the the holistic side too that you know kind of blends it all together, like you said. Yeah, the, the respondent experience is something that it's, it's it's tough to balance. Like, I hate designing surveys that say, what is your age? And then what is your birth date? And you have to match that. And then you say, what color is the sky? And what is two yeah. plus two? And then you ask them to do a conjoint exercise. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really kind of crazy what we put respondents through, right? It is. It is. And things like, um, you know, birth year, birth date, even those, um, we begin to yeah. see differences, right? So there's a per percentage of people that just start to get edgy when you ask for the birth date, um, yep. but they'll give you the birth year. So, you know, yeah. you really should only ask for what you need, um, you know, and, and enough to get yeah. you through kind of the gates that you want to put in place, um, you know, to provide quality because, you know, you don't want to exclude people that won't provide birth date if in fact, you know, they, um, they really ought to be represented. So. And, and the people that get mad and drop out of a survey because they don't want to answer what noise a bird makes. That's right. not good either. Right? <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to the, the red herrings, you know, the one that I, I really like the best is the, the statement of multiple low incidence items. Yeah. Um, you know, this is stuff we played around with at AOL 20 years ago. You know, what yeah. kinds of questions do you put in as gates? And, you know, we found the things like, you know, to ensure that you're paying attention, please check the box or check the button on the left or at the far right. Um, people that don't take surveys, they don't understand what you're doing here. Wait a minute, I'm clowing through. I'm in the mindset right. of answering these questions. And what is this that you just put in front of me? You know, right. um, so things like, you know, which of these have you done? And, you know, uh, you know, the last three months applied for pet insurance, apply, you know, just yeah. random things that, you know, you know that if you state um, three things that are, you know, less than 5% incidents, um, you got a good chance that this is somebody that's just trying to, to qualify and gain the system. Right. 
And then I'm going to go back to you to see, you mentioned there was a little bit of a surge last week. Um, is there anything else that maybe happened in Q1 or any kind of noteworthy types of fraud that, you, that you're seeing now that might be just kind of unique or different? Yeah, um, <clears throat> good question. So, I mean, we've seen, I think I mentioned subnets before. That's something we've been focused on. And we have a few a few releases that we've that have gone out this past week and and, and will in future weeks as far as to to uh, to stop and at least start tracking that more. Um, you know, so that we can sort of correlate it to removals down the line and see. You know, it, it, is this is this a highly correlative or, or mostly or what? You know, I mean, there's there's always edge cases with with issues like that too. You know, if somebody's running a small zips or a study with a just number of zips. I mean, there's probably going to be some IP overlap in there anyway. So, right. you know, we're, 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 it's, it's one of those ones, just like anything in, in this, in this world where we're actually controlling traffic, it's got to be very, very careful uh, with, yeah. with, uh, with any, any levers you pull. I mean, I, you know, to the best of our knowledge, we're seeing the increased traffic uh, that's linked to fraud coming from, um, we've, we've seen an uptick from uh, the Venezuela uh, area as well, well as, um, as well as, as well as India. Uh, so those are two, two areas we've seen, you know, I mean, we'll see, we'll see um, <clears throat> some of the things that we've seen come through our end is uh, a lot of respondents who are, um, who are, uh, They'll they'll have an open end where the the message the the message will be in in English, but it clearly is written by somebody where um, English is their second language, which in itself is not you know uh, a problem. But but when you get 30, 40 answers in a row like that, that all kind of have the similar patterns. Things look a little weird. So right. um, yeah, so I mean that's where we use uh, we, we've been updating our um, natural language processing uh, tools, our um, our text analytics tool we have called Review to um, to focus a little bit closer on grammar to be able to catch those types of things and flag them. Um, yeah, yeah, those are those are the big things coming out of Q1, I would say. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of Venezuela. It makes sense, right? With what's going on in Venezuela, it would make sense that you'd have an increase of fraud from that country. Um, you mentioned you mentioned IP a lot, which kind of gets me to the next topic around browsers. And this is something that I always defer to Brian Peterson when I talk about cookies and what's going on with browsers. And because I don't really understand this world. And even though we've talked about it on the podcast, I don't know how many times, probably four or five times now, I still don't get it. But I bet that there's an impact from your perspective, Dan, around with what's going on in the industry with cookies and browser advancement and what Google's doing. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I caught up, I think on the last episode, I, I thought Brian did a great job explaining it. So if you, if, if anybody wants a refresher, they can, they could probably go back and, and, uh, and go through that. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. It's, you know, cookie-less is the, is the, the, the definite buzzword and the talk of our, you know, our, our world in terms of um, things that we're, we're focused on. And, you know, to be honest, I think it actually impacts, uh, you know, people on the marketing and advertising side way more than it does us uh, in a lot of ways. You know, we, we built um, our technology around being able to, to survive in a cookie-less world. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we certainly use it when it's there and we have used it. It's, it's a data point. It would be silly not to, right. But, um, but you know, with the move to um, the 
sort of opting out of, of first party cookies or, or sorry, of third party cookies, um, you know, it just gives us one less variable to be able to use to, to make a decision and to identify the same respondent. But um, we've kind of put our focus on away from that in the past anyway. Uh, you know, so it, it shouldn't have a huge impact, you know, um, slightly, slightly lower rates of, um, of conversion on, on digital fingerprinting and, and, and things along those lines. But, you know, like anything, we'll adjust uh, over time. You know, I think it'll be a slow uh, rollout on all this. And there's still, you know, a, a number of, uh, a good percentage of our traffic where we still see, um, you know, the, the browsers, the cookies from the browsers. So um, we're, yeah, just trying to stay on top of it. Cool. And that kind of leads me into the next topic um, where Bonnie Breslauer, she put an article, she works at Disco and she's been in the industry for a long time. Everybody knows Bonnie. And mm -hmm. she wrote an article entitled Market Research Fraud on the Rise, Let's Conquer Together. I love the kind of overall theme of it, which is really collaboration, which is why all we're here today is collaborating to help talk about this challenge and help maybe others um, and work together as an industry to conquer. Because I've said before, I really think the insights, whatever you want to call our industry, res tech insights, survey research, is is not working at full capacity. I think we can double or triple in size um, if we can provide more confidence in decision makers. The data is real. I think there's a lot of skepticism, and some of it's certainly warranted, but some of it maybe isn't. But the theme of our article talks about knowing the enemy, which we've talked about a little bit, protecting the experience of good panelists, and we've talked about that as well. Um, and she talked a little bit about an innovating new defenses, AI, machine learning, biometrics. Um, that's one that's a little bit a little bit foreign to me. I know there's a lot of innovation out there, and that's why your company exists, is all of the things that you're doing. Is there anything else in the article or kind of just the general theme that you know, wanted to address or talk about? I'd yeah. say on the machine. Go ahead, Dan. You go first. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, uh, I, I did read that article. I thought it was great. I worked closely with Bonnie early in my career uh, and, and love everything she has to say here. I thought that the over the, you know, at the at the high level, just the general, we should be working together more on this is 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 right on. I mean, you know, you think about um, the hits that the political polling uh, industry has taken from 2016 and 2020 with, you know, whether you want to, whether whether or not you want to argue those those were misses, uh, there's a perception that it was a miss and that causes the data to be questioned. And, you know, I think that's bad for that industry. And I think we should sort of think that way too um, and be working together. You know, we're all going to try to get a leg up and have a better technology and, and market ourselves that way. But, um, but the basics here, we're all working with the same we're all working with the same variables and trying to uh, put, you know, extrapolate those in a manner where we can try to weed out fraudsters and, uh, and we should be sharing that information. So, you know, overall, I just really like the theme of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Bonnie's great. Um, she and I go back a long ways. We actually worked in the same department of about 25 people uh, at Mark Research many years really? ago. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've known each other for quite some time. I'll get um, stories off off the air. Exactly, <laughs> but um, no, I I absolutely loved the the tone of it as well. I think it's you know exactly what we all need to be doing. What I was going to say on the machine learning front is, um, I'm really excited about um, kind of the um, NLP and text analytics that we can do with um, looking for fraud in open ends and B two B studies and things like that, where we're asking people to explain their job. Um, you know, or give some 
kind of relevant information that only a qualified, um, you know, professional should be able to give and being able to kind of look at that stuff in a little more detail to weed out the fraud in B2B since that um, tends to attract people um, and fraudsters a little bit more given high incentives and things like that. So um, no, great article, great tone and, you know, exactly where we need to be uh, working together. Awesome. Um, anything else we would like to talk about in terms of fraud, survey quality, respondent experience? Did I miss anything? No, I think the only thing I would say, you know, is kind of just restating what I said earlier is it's it's everything along the chain, right? So, um, yeah. you know, don't depend on solely on technology um, to solve your problems. You got to take some ownership and responsibility, you know, for your survey, research yourself and uh, think about you know, the sampling, think about the, the screening, the survey instruments, um, who you're engaging, the devices you're engaging um, them on. And, uh, you know, it is a it is a bit of art and science that needs to kind of come together, um, you know, as we're, we're doing this together. Yeah, I love that message, Chuck, that it's, it's amazing how often I see a data file that has a really poorly written screener and a, a really strong screener is so important to ensure that it's not easy for anyone to just get through that you're talking to the right people. Um, and then the questionnaire design, I think it's, those are skills that unfortunately we, there used to be a lot of rigor around questionnaire design. That there was, and I, yeah, I mean, I hate to sound like the old guy in the room, but <laughs> you know, it, it does seem like, you know, not as much attention is paid in many cases uh, to those sorts of things. And it can just, you know, have, uh, such a huge impact on what you get at the end of the day in terms of the, the final data set and the insights that come from it. Yeah, I, I always think back to my days. I was a telephone interviewer, and this is this is a long time ago, 90, the late 90s. And I remember that, and this still happens today, that a group of telephone interviewers would get into a room and there'd be a briefing where they would go through the entire questionnaire. And let me tell you, these telephone interviewers are detail-oriented. They would question every little word on that questionnaire, yeah. right? And that would help the questionnaire design because they understood how a respondent um, hears the question. They hear the question or read the question in the case yep. of online, different than how we as researchers think. And so that was such an important step in the process. And I hope that for some reason we've been doing, I mean, we're well into 20 plus years in doing online research. And I don't know, we've never, generally, I'm speaking very general, we've never yeah. really kind of taken that cue, that quality check. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I remember, um, you know, I was doing research on you know, phone and mall and, uh, yeah. and paper before there was <laughs> online. So I, I totally get what you're saying and, and know that that is a, a huge part of the um, questionnaire design process that we would get feedback yeah. from the Watts Center saying, hey, you know, we've got. You yeah, know, people are, think we might want to do this this way. So, um, you know, maybe in those cases, um, the replacement is that, you, you know, you run it by a colleague, right? You know, I know we're all busy and everything, but yeah. don't, don't be afraid to, you know, either ask a colleague or ask, you know, a sample provider or somebody you're working with, um, get another opinion on, you know, hey, is there a better way to do this? Or is this the right approach? Or, um, you know, where the implications of certain things? Yeah, and the point of this is that, Dan and his team, they can do a lot to prevent fraud and to help with data quality, but the researchers have a huge role in this and working collectively. So um, Dan, I don't know if there's anything to add on your end in terms of what you guys are doing to, to help the researchers. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll say like, I do, I do spend, um, yeah, I, I think partnerships is, is a word that I've, you know, tried to, to it's something I've tried to develop with all, all the customers that I work with and, um, over the years. And I think it's, it's so key in this element too. I mean, you know, yeah, you mentioned survey design, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of, if we get an escalation of, Hey, this, this doesn't seem right for X, Y, Z, you know, um, the first thing I'll try to do is, is get a copy of the, of the screener and the, the survey itself and try to understand what the, you know, objectives of the survey was, um, you know, it, it might be, listen, it might be a bot uh, that, that got into your, your survey and it might be that easy, but it might just be that the, the way it was written or the logic or something didn't make sense. And that's, you know, and it, it's all data points that we can, we can look at. And, um, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I love this job is it's just a giant puzzle, right? It's um, yeah, you've got, yeah. you know, it's a little bit more, it's a little, it's, it's pretty abstract from the, from the survey standpoint. And then we just have an insane amount of data on that, that we can, that we can layer on top of that and um, try to tell the story. So now, I, and I say partnership and that it's, I, you know, I think it's understanding what the objectives were, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to offer my, uh, my expertise uh, for, for what it's worth on the, the research side of things, although I tend to leave that to the experts. But, um, you know, if you can come back, come back and understand that, uh, I think we're all better for it. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we update our model quite often with um, insights we find about, you know, especially on like the, the text analytics side of things, you know, um, we're, we're, we're literally, it's, it's natural language processing, we're, we're getting a sentence and trying to make sense of it with, without, generally without even the context of the question itself. So, um, you know, I love learning about what the objective was so that we can train our model to, to actually understand whether it's the right or wrong answer, uh, as far as what was being asked. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. And I, yeah. And on the, um, the puzzle solving and insane amount of data front, I love, uh, the extra data that I've been able to work with um, when sample chains engaged in studies, because um, it does on top of, you know, all the survey data and the behavior that you can trace there, give you a lot of context uh, for what else is going on behind the scenes and uh, yeah. what the data represents. So um, it's, you know, part of solving the puzzle. And uh, that's, that's kind of a, a neat new front uh, to be working in. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on and having this kind of, discussion around quality how can people if people want to reach out to you check how, how can they reach you um email is great um chuck at dm2 um which stands for digital, digital marketing measurement as you said chuck at dm2corp.com okay and dan um how can people reach you and if you want to like tease any maybe press release that might have happened already <laughs> feel free to do that as well what a coincidence you brought that up. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. You can, uh, you can reach out to me at dfletcher at samplechain.co uh, for now until next week, at which point we will be dfletcher at researchdefender.com. We are um, announcing our rebrand on uh, Monday the 19th, which will, uh, by the time this launches, have already happened. So uh, you you heard it here first. Uh, if your if your name is Brian, um, and if not, you probably heard it with the rest of the industry uh, two days ago. I think uh, after this this launch. So yeah, we're we're super excited about that um, that announcement. I think it brings a little clarity in terms of what we're what we're um, what our objective and our mission is in the marketplace. And uh, 
I'll save my making fun of your name till the next episode, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's too perfect. It explains exactly what you do and it's spelled correctly. So congratulations to you and your team. That's a, that's a big uh, rebranding. I love it. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate that. And thanks for All having right. us on. Well, this was great. Yeah. Th- thanks everybody for listening. And if, please reach out to Dan or Chuck if you have any additional questions. They're certainly experts on this topic um, and two of the best. So thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.